All right. Well, we had a false start, and so you've already had the introduction for Brian. So, Brian, if you would come now, and you can share what the Lord has given you for us today. Good morning. It's nice to see you all here today. I was here a little while back and taught on creation and evolution. Remember that? Um, I go around the country and I teach creation. Now, man believes, and a lot of people believe in this country and around the world, that evolution is true. And what is evolution? It's a, a theory brought by man that says there was no God. That 15 billion years ago, that a particle the size of a pinhead exploded or expanded and created the entire universe. Everything that you see here, you look up and you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, the billions and trillions of galaxies with billions and trillions of stars, all came from that little pinhead. I call that the pinhead theory. I mean, who in the world would believe something like that? Everything comes from the pinhead. But then I asked a question. Where did the pinhead come from? And they can't answer that question. Evolution's false. And how do we know that? Because as Christians, we can look into our Bibles, and God tells us how he created the world. He gives us a day-by-day news feed of how he did it. You know, there was a woman named Diana Washington, back in 1959. And she sang a song, and you probably heard it, What a Difference a Day Makes. And that was the title of my uh, talk today, is What a Difference Does a Day Make? Well, it makes great difference. Evolution teaches that the earth is four and a half billion years old, that all life came on the earth through evolution. Evolution has problems, big problems. And I've had people come to me and says, well, you know, Brian, why couldn't God use evolution to bring man and the animals into existence? You know what I said? Well, there's two big reasons. Number one, he says he didn't do it that way. Okay, that's important. And number two, evolution has something in it, one of the ingredients That's false. Evolution depends on death. Death and life and death and life and death and life over millions of years in order to happen. Who brought death into the world? Does anybody have an answer? It was that first guy that God created, right? Adam. Romans uh, tells us that through death, Death came in the world through one man and death through sin. And death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. So Adam brought death into the world. So how could there be death in the world before Adam? You know, I asked a Christian one time, did he believe in evolution? Yeah. And I says, well, you mean that the animals lived and died and ate each other for hundreds of millions of years before Adam came into existence? He says, yes. I says, where does that say that in the Bible? God teaches that he created everything in six normal days. 
And that was the thought when I looked at Diana Washington where she said, a day is an important thing. Because she said that there can become a day in your life that when it comes, it changes your life forever. And you know what? That changes what a Christian believes forever is a day. And I'm talking about the beginning of creation. Is this the Word of God? Can we believe it? Should I believe every word that it says? Why? Because God said he wrote it. Over 3,000 times in this book, he said he wrote it. Now, should I only start believing what God says when I go this far in the Bible? How about when should I start believing it? When it goes further? And when should I start believing it? When it goes further until I get to John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whoever believeth in him shall not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. But what happens to the rest of the Bible in the beginning? You know, you know, you could look at this, Genesis 1. How many of you have ever read Genesis 1 to 11? Yeah, I know you did. You had to. Otherwise, you wouldn't pass. <laughs> so, Genesis 1 to 11 is the beginning of the Bible. Should I believe Genesis 1 to 11? You know, I would say 90% of the pastors and leaders who say they are Christians and go in Christian churches and all that, that 90% of them don't believe Genesis 1 to 11. In fact, I've seen pastors teach Genesis. Instead of starting at Genesis 1, they started Genesis 12 with Abraham. I said, why are you skipping all these first 11 chapters? They said, well, it's a big controversy. I said, what do you mean it's a controversy? God told us that in Genesis 1 through 11, Important things happen. Genesis 1, he created the world. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve fell, right? Genesis 6, 7, and 8, 9, there was a big global flood that destroyed all life on earth except those who were in the ark. The fishes and the whales in the sea, some of them survived too. But if you breathe air and you weren't on the ark, you didn't make it. And why did God do that? Because of sin. Because God looked down at the world, and it was all evil continuously, as he says in Genesis 6. And the only person he saw that was righteous was who? Noah. That was it. And Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives turned their back on the world, got in that ark, and God destroyed the world. Now, is that an important event in human history? Why don't you want to talk about it? Every human died. You know, there was people, they saw Noah building his ark. And they said, what are you doing, Noah? He says, I'm building an ark. He said, why? It's going to rain 40 days and 40 nights, and the God is going to destroy the world. He's going to flood the whole world. And they said, oh, Noah, dumb Noah. And they didn't. And it, it, it says in some other non-biblical books about what happened to Noah. He's out here, and imagine Here's your father out here in the middle of nowhere building a boat that's over 500 feet long, you know, 75 feet wide and 50 feet high in the middle of nowhere, not near any kind of ocean or everything. He said, what are you doing, Noah? I'm building a boat. It's going to rain 40 days and 40 nights, and the Lord is going to destroy the earth with what? A flood. Oh, yeah, right. Our scientists say, hey, 
It never rains. What is rain anyway? It didn't rain at all during the early parts before the flood. God watered the earth with underground springs, and they said, it's never, what is rain? So Noah just kept building his ark, and all the scientists at that time said, it's not going to rain. There is no rain. It's not going to flood. We only have a couple seas around here. We don't have to worry about that. And then... All of a sudden, it started to rain. Now, I ask a question. How many of those scientists who said that it wasn't going to rain and the earth wasn't going to flood died in the flood? How many? All of them. They were wrong. They didn't believe in God's word. So we can trust this. And you've got to trust it right from the first chapter. The first chapter, God tells us how he created the earth. Now, man says the whole universe came into building through the Big Bang and that everything arose slowly over hundreds of millions and billions of years, slowly, step by step, until we got to man. That's what they teach. You know what they actually teach? That all life, all the universe... All the worlds, all the stars came into being on their own, by themselves, out of nothing. That's what they teach. But God says no. He created the universe the way he says in his Bible. The first verse says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you believe that one sentence... You will never have any problem believing anything in this book. You know, in this book, it says man, a man rose from the dead. Science says men and women don't rise from the dead. But yet that's what it teaches. So we need to trust what it says. In the beginning, Barashit, Bara, Elohim, in the beginning, God. That's what God did. He created everything. He created the heavens and the earth. And he tells us that the earth was without form and void and that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. What we think God did when he said in the beginning he created the heavens and the earth, he created all the time-space continuum, all the matter, all the three-dimensional space and everything that we see in the universe. And then he started to take that stuff that he created and started to form to make the earth habitable. And that's what he was doing. And we believe when it talks here that when he created it, there was no light. There was no stars. There was no sun. There was nothing like that around until he started forming it. And he said, the Spirit of God hovered over the deep and the waters. And when I look at that, he's going to start creating things like light in the dry lands and the seas and all that. That's what he's going to do. Personally, I and a lot of other creation scientists believe that the earth, he may have created the earth as a big ball of water because it seemed to be covered entirely by water. And it was dark and the Spirit hovered over the waters. And then God said, what? Let there be light. And there was light. That word light in the Hebrew is or. It means general illumination. God created light itself. There was no light in the universe. And then that light 
was shining from some point that God did, and it was shining on the earth. Because let there be light, and God saw that the light was good. And God called, he separated the light from the darkness. So he was doing something here, and when you read this text, what it shows that he had the earth, the earth was spinning, the light was shining, and there was darkness and light on the earth as it turned. Because he says in here, and God says, separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light what? Day. And the darkness he called what? Night. There's your definition of a day. When you see light, and then you see darkness, and then you see light, and you see darkness, is that a different day each time? Yeah, because the earth is spinning, and we have darkness and light. And that's the definition that he gives right here. He says, in the darkness he called night, in the light he called day, and the word for day is yom. Now, people say, well, that yom can mean anything. It could mean a long period of time. It can mean uh, a section of time. It can mean a normal day. Well, the vast part of the time that yom is used in the Old Testament, it means a normal day. And yeah, day can have different meanings. If I told you, in my father's day, it took 10 days to drive across the United States if you drove only during the day. Now, I use three different definitions of day. Did you understand what I said? Yeah, it's called context. And that's why when we look at something, we look at the context. Yeah, day could mean, like in my father's day, it could mean the daylight portion of the day, or it could mean a normal day. Well, God's talking about this. He's telling us, what he's going to do on each day of creation. And then there was evening and morning, the first day. So God gives a definition. He First, he says, there's light and there's darkness. There's evening and there's morning. And then he calls it a day, one. And on day one, he created light. It's a normal day because God gives the definition right here of what a day is. You know, day and light, darkness and light, evening and morning, and he calls it the first day. And here it means a normal day. Now, the scripture interprets scripture. Yeah, what does that mean? That if I don't understand in one part of scripture what God is talking about, we can go somewhere else and see that, what he's talking about. And God also tells us why he created in six normal days. Could God went and the whole universe appear? Everything we see now? Yeah. We say, well, why did he do it in six normal days? He had a reason. God never does anything without a reason. Have you ever, you know there's a book in here called Exodus? And Exodus in 2011 is where God gives the what? The Ten Commandments. And that commandment in there is the fourth commandment. He tells the Jews that he only wants them to work six days and rest one. You know, you're going to work six days, but then you rest one, and you don't work, and your wife doesn't work, and your animals don't work, and your 
other people you know don't work, that he tells them why. Because he says, for in six days I created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that's in them. There's God giving it back to Genesis 1 that he created in six normal days. Because when he was giving the Jews, it was a, a sample of their work week. When he told them to work six days and rest one, were each one of those days 100 million years? No, I, they probably would like, well, let's start the seventh day and we'll start off with 100 million years. Okay? No. He says he gave them an example of their work week. That's why he created in six days in Genesis 1. He wanted to do that. Isn't God awesome of what he does? So, on day one, he created light. On day two, he then tells us that he created what we call the expanse. He, he took the water that was on the surface of the earth, we guess, and he split it. He raised part of it up into what he called a heaven, and then the other ones, he, he, he pushed them down into the earth, and there was an expanse, what we call the atmosphere now, that was in there because he said he called this heaven, and later on in Genesis 1, he says, this is the place where the birds fly. So we know he's talking about the atmosphere. And there's a lot of water that he put under the earth, and it was there in the reservoirs, which later on he tells us that's how he watered the earth, all over the earth through underground streams. And then when the flood came, did it rain 40 days and 40 nights? Yeah, but that wasn't enough water to flood the earth. He said the earth was flooded to over 22 feet above the highest mountains. 40 days and 40 nights of rain is not going to do that. You know what happened in Genesis 6 and 7 when the earth start, when it started to rain? God caused the deep chasms, the water under, we called the floods water under the earth. Those great things blew up and all the water that he had stored under there during day two, it exploded. The fountains of the great deep, it's called. And they exploded up. And that's where all the water came to flood the entire earth. And I think it happened very quickly. Most all the earth was covered in a very short period of time with all that water. And it took a while for, you know, to get up to the highest mountains, but sooner or later it did. And everyone who was not in that boat, who breathed air, died because of that because of men and how evil they got. And then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God said it was good. Now he's talking about here on day three. So day one, he did light. Day two, he created the expanse. You know what we call the atmosphere and the hydrosphere under? And now he's on the third day. Has God created life yet in these days, day one and day two? No. Now, on day three, he says, And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw it was good. And then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees, bearing the fruit after their kind. 
Now you'll notice that every day now, whatever God makes or creates, he says after their kind. You know what that means? That means the kind is the boundary. When God created certain plants, they had a boundary, meaning they couldn't change into another plant. When he created animals on day five, he said according to their kind, if he created dogs, they didn't evolve into sheep. That's what he means by according to their kind. They had boundaries. There was no evolution. They couldn't change. You know, an amphibian couldn't change into something else because God put boundaries on it. And God and the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and the trees with their kind, and the seed in them. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, a third day. Now, after this third day, has God created life? No. Plants are not alive in the biblical sense. They're the cellular reproduction systems. That's all they are. Have you ever tried to take a tree for a walk? Does it work? No. Can you take a tomato for a walk? No. Well, you could. You could drag it on the ground with a rope, right? But they're not alive, okay? They're not self-aware. And when God used the word created in the first verse, God created the heavens and the earth, he used the word bara, which means create. And that word is only used with God himself. The Lord or Elohim, God, he uses that. When he did day, when he created the light, and when he created the, the expanse, and when he did, made the fruit trees and all the grasses, he used the word he made. He hasn't used the word barah again because he took what he had, he created on that first day, you know, he formed the earth, then he formed light, and then he formed the expanse, getting ready for habitation of the earth. And when he got to the plants, he said, let them. And he made them. He uses the word made. So he took what he had and did it. But now God's going to do something different. On day four, he started creating the rest of the universe. It says here on day four, Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. God started creating the sun, the moon, and the stars. Now, I told you the word for light was or. It was general illumination. But when he comes here and he creates the greater light, the sun, the Hebrew word is ma'or which means a light-bearing body, something that gives off light. So he created the sun. Why did he create the sun? Well, he created the plants on what? Day day three. Now, wait a minute. Why did he create the plants on day three when there was no sun? Well, do you need a sun to have a day? No. What's the definition of a day scientifically? The period of what? The rotation of the earth. One day. You don't need a sun to have a day. 
I've had people say that, how could God have, you know, day one, day two, day three, and he didn't even have a son? Well, you don't need a son to have a day. That's the rotation of the earth. Well, what's a year? The rotation of the earth around what? The sun. What about a month? Where do we get our month from? The moon, what? Orbiting the earth. That's how we get our month. Where, what is the astronomical definition of a week? Is there one? No. You know where we get our week? Genesis 1. That's where we get our week. There's no astronomical basis for a week at all. So God's created the sun and is supposed to give light on the earth. And God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And he made the stars also. The word for sun is maor, but the word for stars is kokavim. You know what that makes me think? That all those stars out there may not be like our sun because he uses a different word for them. But God created the sun and the moon, and he said they're going to be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Now, if the definition of a day was 100 million years, then what, is a, what does a day mean in this passage? Okay, He created for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Well, that word days is yom, the same one. He created it for signs in the heaven. We have lots of signs in the heaven that tell us things. And there's signs, you know, for a day and for years, and God uses them for that. But the sun gives light on the earth. And then I had a a student one time argue with me, that the moon did not give off light. I says, when you walk out there and you see a full bright moon, is it dark? He said, no. I says, well, what's it giving off, light? Then how can you tell me? Because he said it doesn't give off light. I says, yeah, not really, but it reflects the sun's light, doesn't it? It does that. They always try to find some little thing that, that it, we're violating that violates evolutionary theory. But God made the sun, moon, and the stars. And he made them for us. By the way, he did not create the stars for alien beings to live on. I give a talk on aliens and UFOs. Who are they really? And they don't exist out there. All right? But, you know, I know that God didn't create the stars for aliens to live on. He created them for us. And look at when he says here this last little verse. He made the stars also. I mean, it's just a little verse. In fact, in Hebrew, it says he made stars. All those that we see out there, the trillions and millions of galaxies and the trillions and millions of stars in each galaxy, at least they say there is. I've never been out there, never have them. We don't know what they, if they're really out there, but I would say they are. God said he made them. How far they're out there, I'm not sure. Astronomers say they do know, but they've never been there. And they measure a star that's maybe uh, 100 trillion miles away from us, and they can measure that distance. 
and know it. Well, how do you know that? Well, they use triangulation. Well, yeah, but have you ever been there? Have you ever taken a measuring tool, you know, and measured the distance? No. I don't know how far they are. Because God told us that when he created the heavens, he created them all on day four. Who was born or created on day six? Adam and Eve, or Adam, okay, first, and Eve came shortly thereafter. Now, if he created the sun and the stars and and all those on day four, and those stars are, you know, 10 trillion light years away, or 10 billion light years away, or whatever they want to give to them, then at the speed of light, how did that light reach the earth? Now, that's a good question. And that's a question we can't answer yet. But God, I say that when he created the light moon and the stars on day four, that when Adam was created, he had to look up into the sky two normal days later and see the heavens. So God did it some way. You know, it tells us in other parts of the Old Testament that God created and he pushed the creation out. He could have created all that stuff in a close vicinity of the earth and just pushed it right out. Because there's problems if you say that he created them, you know, 15 billion light years away, that we don't see that light passing through all kinds of gases and stuff like that on the way. And that's what astronomers argue with me, that he couldn't have done that. But he did it some way. Because he's God. And he created them so that on day four, he, he created all those. On day six, Adam and Eve would have saw, I believe, the entire heavens, as we see now, all the visible stars that are visible. So that's an interesting point. Then now we get to day five. This is where God does a miracle. God does something different. Now all he has created was light, He created the atmosphere, and he created the expanse, and he created the plants and the fruit trees. He created the the land masses and the seas. He's preparing the earth to be inhabited. Now, on day five, God does something special. Now he uses the word bara, create. God created something special. He said, Verse 20, then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse, which he created on day two of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. Now God says he created all the flying creatures and all the creatures that lived in the sea. And he said he he made them according to their kind. Now did you notice something here in, in evolution? They said the dinosaurs appeared first. And then they evolved into birds. Okay? Did you ever see a T-Rex fly? I don't think so. 
But here God says he created the birds first. He hasn't even talked about the land creatures. So, you know, when I became a Christian, for the first six months, I was still an evolutionist. I believe, still believe in evolution because that's what I was taught in the schools in this area. I was taught evolution. I says, well, maybe God did use evolution. But about six months later, I had that day that changed my life forever. Guess what I did? I read the Bible. And I read Genesis 1. And I read what I'm showing to you right now, the way God created in a certain sequence. And when I looked at that, it says, this is completely opposite of what man teaches. There's something going on here. And that changed my life forever. You see, if you want to believe in hundreds of millions of years in evolution, and I would suspect some of you here still believe in evolution, sometimes they call it theistic evolution, that God used evolution to bring man and the animals into existence. But I told you there's a problem with that because evolution implies death. And there was no death in the world until Adam and Eve sinned. And God had already created the entire world and the universe and all life on earth at at that point. So there's no theistic evolution. But you see, some people want to take what man teaches about millions and billions of years, and they want to be able to somehow stuff that into the Bible. Okay? And they try to do it. In fact, some people try to stick it between verse 1 here in Genesis In verse 2, and they try to stick hundreds of millions of years between those two verses, they call it the gap theory. Now, I've seen an estimate of about 200 books written on the gap theory. And the Bible says, you know how much the Bible says about that? Zip. (laughs) There was nothing to happen between verse 1 and verse 2. But they try to stick in the thing that, you know, that Satan led an army against God and they fought and they lost. And that's when Satan fell and they stuck it all in between those two verses. It's called the gap theory. Look it up. But there's nothing in Scripture about it. God doesn't even talk about that. But that's how they try to stick evolution. And another way they try to do it is they try to stick and make each one of those days 100 million years. Or more. And that's how they try to fit evolution into the Bible. Well, you can't stuff it into the Bible because there's no room. God already put the verses that he wants in there, and it works. Okay? Everybody, everybody here know what a genealogy is? Genealogies is a record of the birth and deaths, you know, of a sequence of people. Now, there are genealogies in Scripture, In fact, if you look here in Genesis 5 and Genesis 9 and 10, and you look at uh, Matthew and you look at Luke, there's genealogies. In fact, you can trace through the genealogies all the way from Adam to Jesus Christ. And there is men better than me who added up all those years. I'm what you call a 6,000-year young earth creationist. Why did I pick 6,000 years? Because if you add up the genealogies all the way from Adam to Jesus Christ, it adds up to 4,000 years. 
In fact, all of Genesis 1 to Genesis 12 encapsulates 2,000 years. And from Abraham to Jesus, it's 2,000 years. How many years has it been since Jesus walked the earth? About 2,000 years. 2,000 plus 2,000 plus 2,000 is 6,000. Now, could this earth be only 6,000 years old? Yeah, if you have a God that created it, yeah, it can be. It didn't have to evolve. Nothing had to evolve on it. God, it says in Psalm 33 that God spoke it into existence. And you can see here in Genesis that each one of these things, it says, God said, let there be. He spoke it into existence of the breath of his mouth. So now here on day five, God created all the fishes, all the creatures in the sea, the whales and the sharks, you know, and all the amphibians and dolphins and all that type of thing. And it calls them living creatures. I mean, the um, this part calls them what they really are, living creatures. The King James Version uses living creatures, and the New American Standard, which I use, uses living creatures. In the Hebrew, the words for that is nefesh kayah, which are very interesting words. Because now God created the nephesh kaya, living creatures. The word nephesh, it can mean wind, it can mean spirit, it can mean soul. And there's other different definitions that it has. But it talks about non-material things or things you can't see. Nephesh can mean soul. And I believe that's what it's talking about here. Because is he talking about creating wind on day five? No. Is he talking about creating spirits on day five? No. He already created the angels and their spirits. God is spirit. And humans have spirits. But here on day five, he he says nephesh kaya. Nephesh, I believe, in this instance means soul. and And kaya means living. And I would say it's called a living soul. Guess what? On day six, when he creates Adam, he calls Adam a nephesh kaya, a living soul. But what makes that different now? What's different about day five than what God has created? He's created life. He calls them living creatures. How many of you have dogs or cats or horses, or rabbits, or any kind of pets? You don't have any? You ever have any? Okay. Can you take a dog for a walk? Yeah. Can you train a rabbit to do things? Yeah. It's like you can train dogs to do things. You can train cats. Well, dogs have masters, but cats have staff. I forgot about that. But it's really hard to teach a cat, but you can. Why? Because they're alive. They're living creatures. They're self-aware. They can think. They have emotions. God created life. 
And that's why I believe that that word nephesh there actually means soul. He says, wait a minute, you mean animals have souls? Yeah, that's what he says. Now, I'm not talking about the, the same exact kind of soul that God gave humans, but a soul to me means they're alive, okay? They have consciousness. They can think. They can do things. And God made life. In fact, I think God made certain animals like dogs, cats, and horses, especially for man, because we use them so much and they're so close to us. And I can take my dogs for a walk. We can go out and play games. We can throw the ball and they can listen to commands. And they, and I know they hunt for friends of mine and do things like that. They're intelligent. They're smart and they have life. Trees and tomatoes and watermelons, they don't have life. They're the structures, cellular structures, and we use them for food. That's why at the end of Genesis, God says, I now give you all what to eat. Vegetation. Because since vegetation is not alive, when you eat them, you don't kill them. But animals are different. He calls them living creatures. And he goes on here and said, And there was evening and there was morning a fifth day. So has God created life now? Yes. The earth is teeming with life in the air. It's teeming with life in the seas. Now God says he's going to complete it. We come to day six, and now God's going to create more life. It says here, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. Notice after their kind. That means that dogs don't evolve into sheep, okay? And fish do not evolve into frogs, and frogs don't evolve into something else, and that something else evolve into man. He put a boundary on every creature, and we never see evolution of one kind of creature into another. We don't see that at all. They all stay the same. I know sometimes it rains cats and dogs, all right? But that's not literal. And they don't change from one to the other. And that's what it means. It says after their kind. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after their kind. And God saw that was good. Notice after each day, God looks at what he's created and he says it was good. So he creates some more Creatures. He calls them Nefesh Karah, living creatures. Now they're all the land animals that we see that survive on the land, that breathe air and do that type of thing. So now he's created all the animal kingdom. And this is the day he created things like dogs and horses and rabbits and sheep and all that type of thing. Now he's got it all complete. Who do you think he's going to create next? And he uses the word continuing for bara. He created who? Man, Adam and Eve. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
And God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You know, when he created Adam, he created what we call dominion. God gave Adam dominion over the earth. If he wanted to call rain down on the South 40, he could have done it because he was in charge of the earth. But when he sinned, he lost that domination of the earth. Who did it pass to? Satan. That's why the Bible tells us that Satan is the ruler of the earth right now because Adam gave that up. One day, Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to take that control of the earth. Oh, he still controls everything, but you know, Satan is called the God of this earth now. If you wonder why we have problems on this earth, you know why, because of sin. You know, when we look at Genesis, you look at Genesis 1 to 11, people say, well, we don't need to worry about Genesis 1 to 11. We don't need that. He says, what do you mean you don't need it? He says, you don't need Genesis 1. It doesn't say anything. I ask a question. Where did, where did sin come from? Oh, Genesis 3. <laughs> oh, you mean, is that important? Did we leave out something there? Genesis 3, that's where sin came from. Adam and Eve fell. And I, it's an interesting way that it happened. You know, God told Adam, and then Adam told Eve, it says, don't, you can do anything or eat anything in this garden that I gave you except one thing, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat it. And God said, if you eat that, you will surely die. Okay? Did Adam know what that meant? Yeah. God gave Adam language right away. It probably was Hebrew. I think there's good evidence that Hebrew was the first language ever spoken. And he gave him that, and he knew, understood when God said that. Adam was the smartest person ever lived on this earth. Because God gave him all that knowledge. He didn't have to live for 40 years to gain knowledge. God gave it to him. He said, I don't want you to eat. So what is the first thing that Adam and Eve did? If you see a sign that says, don't walk on the grass, what do you do? Walk on the grass, right? And that's what Adam and Eve, they thought they knew better than God what the truth was. So when Adam, when Eve ate the fruit, okay, she gave it to her husband, Adam, and when he did it, that's when they fell. And they died spiritually. They were separated from God for eternity, just like we all are when we're born. But then, did they ever die physically? Yes. It says Adam lived 930 years, but he died because he died spiritually. And without God, there is no life. So he did eventually die. So does everybody else from that period on. So God created man, and he made him in his image. It doesn't mean we look like God. God's a spirit, okay? Except now Jesus Christ has a human form, and I believe he still has that form, and that's how we're going to see him when we you know, reach heaven. We're going to know, we're going to see him because he's taken on human form now as part of his godliness. 
You see, he was 100% God and 100% man when he walked this earth. That's what he was. He was what we call the God-man. So, he created Adam and Eve. He put him in control of the earth. And then he goes on to say, and God says, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed is on the surface of the earth, and every tree that has fruit yielding seed, it shall be for you as food. And God looked down and saw that all that he had made, and it was very good. And it was evening, and it was morning, the sixth day. So God created everything in six normal days. That's what the scripture teaches. And the words used in the Hebrew, you say, well, wait a minute, how do we know what the Hebrew words mean? Well, you know, that's what they spoke during Jesus' time and before that. Well, in 70 AD, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and they dispersed the Jews. And from that time on, slowly over time, the Hebrew language was becoming lost. And then about the ninth century AD, there was a sect of uh, Jewish who who were Pharisees, and they saw that the Hebrew language was being lost because Hebrew has 22 letters, and they're all consonants. There's no vowels. How do you learn? How do you know how to pronounce it? He said, yeah, this is a problem. So they developed an ingenious method to take the, all the words in the Hebrew and put vowel points under them so we knew how to pronounce them. And they gave us the meanings. They gave us the verb forms. They gave us the grammar. And they wrote all this stuff down and it's passed on to us and other people. So if I want to look up a Hebrew word, I go into what we call the BDB, the Brown Driver Briggs, and I can look at the words and see what they mean and how they're pronounced. So I can, I can read Genesis and interpret it. He says, well, all this you've been telling me, isn't that your interpretation? I says, yeah. He says, well, and we don't know what it means. You can make anything up. I says, no. I, you can look at the words that they gave us. We know what the words mean. We know how they're pronounced. And I can say, well, this is what it's saying. I can, because Genesis, the whole book of Genesis is what we call Hebrew historical text. It's a historical novel, so to speak, or writings of what happened from the beginning of time, you know, up through the the Jewish nation. And we know what it says because the text is simple. You know, when I read a book, any kind of book, like you do, I read it simply and I take the words as they normally are understood. And that's what we do in Genesis. We know what the words mean. We know how they're pronounced. We know how the vocabulary is used, and we know how to understand the sentences, and this is how we understand what any part of the Old Testament says. But Genesis 1 to 11, and on to the end of Genesis itself, is not hard to translate. If you take a couple years of Hebrew, the hardest thing is learning you know, uh, the 22 consonants and all the words, and know all the uh, vowels under them and know how to set instructions go. It's not hard to translate. 
That's how we translate the Bible. Translation is both an art and a science. It's a science because we know how to take the words and know how to interpret them, but it's also a little bit of art. For example, in the beginning, the first verse in Genesis, it literally says in Hebrew, okay, in beginning God. There's no the in there. In beginning God. We know what it means. So in English, we use a little bit of art, and we put the the in there because us, we know, in, in the beginning. That's all. So all you have to do is take the text, and you need to smooth it out a little bit with English and make sure people understand it. But it's not my interpretation. That's what the text says. So it's not hard to understand and to believe. And we got to believe. If we look at Genesis 1 to 11, people say, well, it's not important. Well, you know that Genesis 1 to 11 carries every Christian doctrine we know of in Genesis 1 to 11, either directly or indirectly. Genesis 1 to 11, the origin of life, the origin of marriage, the origin of man, the origin of the seven-day work week, the origin of man's dominion, the origin of sin, the origin of evil, the origin of language, the origin of government, the origin of salvation, and the origin of clothes. I see you all wearing them today, so that's good. All that comes from Genesis 1 to 11. Every Christian doctrine we have comes in those first 11 chapters. So if they're not, if they're not uh, important, then we're in a lot of trouble because we don't have any Christian doctrines. Why do we have the rest of the Bible? Because what happened in Genesis 3 caused us to have the rest of the Bible. If there was no fall of man in Genesis 3, there would be no Bible. But the Bible tells us what God's plan was to redeem us from what happened in Genesis 3. You remember in Genesis 3 when God said, Adam, where are you? And Adam was hiding in the bushes. And God told him, Adam, did you do what I told you not to do? And Adam, you know what he said? It was that woman you gave me. That's what he said. It started the blame game. And then God turned to the woman and says, what did you do? He says, she says, the devil made me do it. Okay? And then God turns to Satan. Okay? It was the blame game. But I love it when he said it was that woman you gave me. You know, he blamed it right away. You can tell that he, he was already sinning. He had already fallen from grace because he already started to lie and make up stories. It's all in there. Genesis 1 to 11, it tells us what happened. You know, in Genesis 6, God looked down on the earth and he saw it was continuously evil. And he only saw one man, as I told you. It was Noah. And he said, Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth with man because of all the sin that I see. So he gave Noah a task. I want you to create an ark. And Noah says, what's an ark? Okay, and God showed him what the ark was, and he told him to bring two of every kind of animal. No, two elephants, two giraffes, two rabbits only. Okay, and he said, bring the birds also. Now, there's different kinds of birds, even though they're all flying creatures. 
But God said, bring the birds. In fact, I think he said four times he told Noah, don't forget the birds. You know, birds, I guess, are very important to man and also to God. He must love birds because he told them numbers of times to do it. And then God brought the flood. It wiped out every living creature on the earth. They breathe air except those in the ark. Did the whales survive? Were there whales on the ark? No. He says only, only, cre- only creatures that breathe air. The whales, the sharks, you know, all the aquatic creatures, they stayed in the waters because they could survive. But probably a lot of them died because when you have all that rain that covered the whole earth to the tops 22 feet over the highest mountains, there's a lot of stuff that's washed into the sea and it probably killed a lot of them. But there was at least two of every different kind of creature in the sea that lived. So that's what he told us. Then he tells us that, you know, the ark rested on the, the, the dry ground and they got out. Was the earth that beautiful place then as when it was when they got into the ark? No, paradise got destroyed. But all those creatures came off the ark and he started to slowly mod- modify and live over those next years so they had enough creatures to continue life on the earth because they were all on the earth and they survived. So I told you, Genesis 1-11, to it has everything. You should study it and believe it because it tells us what the Lord did each day of creation and that he created everything on a certain day there were six normal days, which makes sense. And if we add up all those days and years from, from Adam to Jesus Christ, that was 4,000 years. And from us to Christ, from Christ to now is another 2,000. That's 6,000 years. Okay? That's how old I believe the earth is. It's not millions of years old. It doesn't have to be because evolution is not true. You know why? I've told you. God says he didn't do it that way. God tells us every day what he did, and he did it in a certain order, and that's completely opposite of what men teach about evolution. So trust what the Lord says. This is his word. We can believe what he says in his word, and if he says it, He did it that way. And it also makes sense because if the earth is only 6,000 years old, that makes a lot of sense of the way things are happening. And Lord says, there's a time coming now, you know, before his son comes back. So he can come back any day. There's no reason why we have to wait you know, and know a certain day because nobody knows. I've seen so many people that predict the Lord's coming back on July 7th, 20, whatever. Okay, and it doesn't happen because the Lord has a time for his son to come back. And the Antichrist has to come first, you know, and take over the earth for seven years before that happens. But I hope to be out of here, right? Because God's going to call all of those who are his who are alive for the rapture, and he's going to take them up with him, and he's going to call all those who are out of the grave and bring them up to him too. And guess who we're going to be with forever? 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Are you going to believe what Genesis 1 to 11 says? Absolutely. Thank you, folks. See you later. Thank you, Brian. You know, I've had people come to me and say, you know, it doesn't matter really how you interpret the first part of Genesis.